You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 94. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits Podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here for the next 30 minutes or so. And today, we're talking finances. Now, one of the reasons I've steered away from this topic for so long is honestly just Google college student finances and tips and you're going to get 14 jillion Google page reviews on this whole thing. Let's see, 1,290,000,000 results in less than two-thirds of a second. So to say that there's already enough information out there to choke a horse, if that's even a good metaphor to use right there, is, uh, is an understatement. And I think one of the reasons I feel compelled to discuss this now is there's been a lot of times over the last couple of years as I've been getting my credit score back in order, getting my investment portfolio built, that I've looked back and thought, man, you know, if I would have had some more knowledge about this whenever I was going to college, and admittedly, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in your world, especially if you're a traditional student having gone and started college in 1994 and not having graduated until 2006, I certainly was there at the beginning when computer screens were black with green type. (laughs) The whole screen was black and it was just like green colored font on a screen. It was pretty uh, abysmal to say the least. And by the time I graduated in 2006, Facebook was launching and the amount of information that has come about in the last 14 years is just staggering. And now you've got the ability to invest parts of your paycheck on Robinhood or go to Coinbase and get yourself into cryptocurrencies and you know be able to start Roth IRAs online. And these are things that were not available back whenever you know a majority of people in my generation, Gen X, were even thinking about putting money away. And so you have so many more options and so much information. And I think it's extremely important that you're able to start to weed out the stuff that is just, you know, clickbait blog material and stuff that's super going to help you. You know, the top ones on this, well, I mean, literally, I just Googled college student finances and tips. And here's, here's what you get when you do this. You get create a budget, find ways to earn extra spending money. Pay yourself first and build an emergency fund. Don't waste student loan money on non-essentials. Use credit cards responsibly, but avoid credit card debt like the plague. Consider making interest-only payments on your student loans. Set up a budget. Track your expenses. Opening a savings account. Start building your credit score. Cook on a budget. Create an emergency fund. Have a debt payoff plan. Start investing now. Then, I mean, right below it, build your credit history. Prioritize credit card debt repayment. Start building an emergency fund. Start making student loan payments. Okay. Every one of these gives you the same stuff. And none of this stuff is even remotely unique or special. And I'm not even really sure if what I'm going to cover over the next 20 some odd minutes is going to be that much more unique and special. What I want you to do is start wrapping your head around the idea 
of what your finances could look like in 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. If you really start to put some effort into thinking about them and planning for them. All of this stuff that you can Google is fine. And honestly, I mean, it's not bad advice. It's not like it won't be helpful. It's just not unique. It's not, when you read this, it's not like, oh my goodness, I had never thought of that. Of course you want a rainy day fund. Of course you want to have this emergency fund they talk about. You don't want a credit score of 520 or 585. You don't want to put yourself thousands of dollars into credit card debt without any rational way of paying it off. You don't want to get your student loan money and then go out and buy a brand new bicycle or a car or something that isn't even what for what the money was for. You don't want to go to the bar seven nights a week and rack up $50 to $100 tabs every time and then wonder why it's hard for you to pay your rent. I mean, these are basics. This is the easy stuff. What I came across the other day that really, really shocked me was if somebody was 25 years old and they put away $100 a week for 10 years, if they stopped at 35 and then somebody else at 35 started putting money away and they did this until they were 60 and they every single month they were putting away this $100 a week, so it'd be $5,200 a year that the person who put the $5,200 away a year from 25 to 35, that would only be $52,000, would end up having around a million bucks after they turned 60. The person who started this at 35 and did it all the way to 60 would only end up having like $1.3, $1.5 million. The difference is only three to $500,000. And what was shocking about that was... And again, three to five hundred thousand dollars isn't exactly something to just sneeze at. I mean, it's very important money. What I want you to draw the connection to here is that the person who just did it for ten years from twenty-five to thirty-five and just let that money sit there and mature was able to rack up only five hundred thousand dollars less than the person who started at thirty-five. Now you can go on many sites and find many similar numbers to this. And so what brought about that shock to me was just by starting this at an extremely young age, and you could even stop at some point, perhaps 35 is when you had kids and you wanted to start to reroute that money to their college fund, you'd have already had $100 a week. $100 a week is one night out at a restaurant. It's a couple bar tabs. It's a few less lattes and a few less pizza nights. It's not out of the ordinary to be able to shift some of your spending to places where it would be better off putting money into a stock portfolio, getting yourself some cryptocurrency, whatever that looks like to you, wherever you're willing to put some effort into researching and analyzing. And a Roth IRA is something I wish I would have done then and certainly something I'm looking to build this year and moving forward, you know, at least to have this, I think it's up to $6,000 that's pre-taxed now so it's not taxed later, which will matter a lot whenever, you know, all of a sudden a 25-year investment of just $6,000 a year turns into you know, $600,000, $800,000. And again, you can Google all these numbers. I'm not going to sit here and do four hours worth of research to make sure all the mathematics are correct. And for those of you in a different country, you still have very similar resources because you can buy stocks online. And in fact, you might have access to more than just American stock markets. And you certainly have access to cryptocurrencies. And who knows what else you have in your country. So this will absolutely pertain to you as well, that it's just the little thoughts that you can be making about what's going to go on in the future. Yeah, 
I absolutely remember myself saying, you know what, I'll make plenty of money in the future. I'll worry about my retirement then. Go back 20 years ago, hell, go back 10 years ago. And if I had been thinking about putting money away, who knows what I could have now. I've got a damn good cryptocurrency portfolio and I'm building my stock portfolio slowly. Robinhood is a blessing. Where I think you can really start to stretch your mind past some of this just build your credit history and make student loan payment kind of thought patterns is, where do you want to see yourself financially 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? And will you be the person who starts to think that far off in advance and start to prioritize those kind of savings movements and habits in your life now? There is a real joy that you can begin to feel inside when you release the desire for instant gratification, for the immediacy of going off and having the pizza night or the party time at the bar. And you can set aside some money and say, you know what, this is going to be for later. There's a version of myself in the future who's going to be very happy that past version of myself thought about this stuff now. I often love to say that, you know, old Jesse, past Jesse, he put me in a lot of binds. He wrote a lot of checks at night that morning Jesse's ass had to cash. I loved the bars. I loved the party scene. I loved staying out and flirting with girls and partying with boys and playing video games all night. Those were checks drunk Jesse was more than happy to write. And poor old hungover morning Jesse was the one who had to cash them. And I look back at all the times that I was told to invest, that I was told to set aside some money. It wasn't like it was impossible. It wasn't as easy as it is now, but there was absolutely ways to do it because I know people who were doing it. And so can you move through the instant gratification? If we look at this through the lens of my book, and My Seven Powerful Principles, developing a growth mindset is number one for a reason. And when you develop a growth mindset around your finances, and that you are now in charge of moving forward in your life. And your credit history will speak volumes about the kind of person those that look at that are going to think you are. People who pay attention to credit scores, and I know it can be found with employers. I definitely know it can be found by the banks. It can be found when you're going to look for a credit card and a loan. The people who care about that credit score are going to make a lot of assumptions about the kind of person you are based on that score. As someone who has had a 520 and has had a high 700, I can promise you, I felt pretty much like the same person, but yet the banks, the loan departments, and the jobs and the places that cared about that score, they absolutely looked at me differently when I had a mid 500 versus a high 700. In fact, I recall when Mia, my former co-host of Disposable Trends and still best friend Thomas Jordan, who runs a great YouTube channel um, helping people launch whole businesses on that thing, he's, he's doing spectacular over there, and, and we talk all the time, and we still like to joke about what our life would have looked like, what, what, what experiences we would have had in Los Angeles that would have been so drastically different from what we experienced if my credit score had been higher when we were looking to move out of Hollywood into Culver City back around 2014, 2015, I had let my student loans 
Um, I didn't pay them on time. I had had like a year of deferment. All these envelopes were showing up towards the end of the year. I was ignoring them. The year flipped over. The calendar began anew. It was the next year. I was still ignoring all of these envelopes. And finally, I opened them up or I went on the website and realized that I had allowed my student loans, which were at around 40 G's, um, I let them go um, out, not expired. They, they basically, I had not paid them. They had said that I had let them go into collections that because I didn't pay and I didn't contact them. They had now been moved into collections and that crippled me. It destroyed my credit score and nothing I could do was going to just snap my fingers and make that better. They were talking seven years of that sitting on my record. Even though I had made them current, I had gotten them back, you know, I'd gotten them right. It didn't matter. They had still been put off into collections. It My credit score, mid-500s if I was lucky, and it was not going to come back up. My only saving grace, honestly, was the fact that Aspire, who owned them at the time, sold them to Mohila. And when they sold them to Mohila, um, knowing full well that when a company sells debt to another company, they generally will purge your records from their database. And so, again, this was pure luck. Pure luck. I would not even begin to recommend this as a strategy in the future, what I'm getting ready to tell you. But it worked for me. I mean, I was truly blessed that Aspire sold my my uh, debt and t- sold my student loans to Mohila because at the time they were current and there was nothing showing Mohila that I'd ever had a a uh, deferment expire and that I had allowed my my debt to go into collections. So I waited three, six months or something like that so I could feel super comfortable that Aspire had purged my records. I called Aspire to ask them to send me my records. When they alerted me to the fact that they no longer had my records on file, and that they didn't even send them to Mohila. They just sold my debt, as is, the way it was, which was current. I felt very confident that if I called Mohila and said, look, I don't know why this is saying that I had allowed my student loans to lapse. This isn't this isn't correct. And they recommended that I contact all three of the credit bureaus and file a petition to have that stricken from the record. And I did, and it worked. And because they had sold my debt and Mohila didn't have record and neither did Aspire, basically it appeared that I had never allowed my student loans to fall into default. That's the word I've been looking for this whole time, default. And so it got expunged from all three of my credit reports. And within six months or a year, my measly little 500 jumped all the way to the high 600s. And from there, I could get it up into the 700s. And it was a life changer. I was able to get a bank account uh, again before I couldn't even get a legitimate bank account because of this. Uh, once I got a good bank account with a credit union and allowed my my bank balance to sit at a certain level, next thing you know, my credit score is going up. I get a car loan for, it was like a 3.1, 2.8% interest, which ends up being like $33 a month of interest on a 20-some thousand dollar loan. It was awesome. Um, even now my loan is so low that I'm paying like $11 a month in interest for like the last five grand paying off 300 a month. And I say all this because so oftentimes this credit score just becomes an afterthought. Like, well, I'll fix it later. It won't really matter. Apartments matter. 
having to call your parents or somebody else in your family to get them to co-sign on an apartment sucks because now you've got somebody else's name on your lease. Somebody else can be contacted when you act the fool. Definitely. You do not want to have somebody have to co-sign for a car, any of that, any of that. You just don't want to have to do it. And so do not allow your student loans to go into default. They have way too many uh, deferment plans. They have way too many kind of programs based on what, what your income is. You know, whether mine's high or low, I've got mine set at a certain rate. Um, hell, the last year, I think that they've all just been frozen. So you don't have to make any payments and you're not even accruing interest during this pandemic, which has been super sweet. Um, it's still going to have to get paid off. But either way, there are too many processes in place, too many things that are out there to make sure that your student loans do not fall into default. And so if there was any main topic I was going to cover during this finances is that, and you may have heard this before, but if whether you have or you have not, you are almost a hundred episodes into my show. Clearly by now you are down with what I'm talking about. So let me point out to you how important it is that you make sure that you have your credit score in lockdown, that you are paying attention to that. And most credit cards nowadays will give you a free credit report score. Now, whether it's TransUnion or Experian or the Equifax, it whatever, they're usually within like 10, 20 points of each other. And if you have enough credit cards, you're probably getting access to all three. Freecreditreport.com, there's plenty of ways that you can get a hold of your credit report. And once a year, it's always smart to snag that and make sure that you're uh, keeping an eye on it to make sure that nothing does weird show up, right? Because people can get your social security number off of any myriad of ways. I think, you know, when Target got hacked many years ago, I mean, 100 million people had their information handed over and anybody in their system who had a credit card had their social security card attached to that. So to think that your social security number isn't already out there somewhere would be foolish of you. I don't care how young you are. It is out there. And so you want to keep an eye on it and make sure that there's not weird things happening. And most importantly, you want to make sure you're not doing anything foolish. So keep an eye on those student loans. Do not allow them to fall into default. Pay the minimum. Pay off only the interest, but make a payment. If those things go into default, it will it will just crush you. It will chop you off at the knees, and it will take years to right that ship. And if you aren't lucky enough to have one uh, student loan debt company sell it to another, then you are going to be saddled with that restriction on your credit re credit report for way longer than you could even possibly breathe. So keep an eye on it. And I'll, I'll digress on that. I, I wanted to share that story so you could know that I have dealt with this. And I definitely took out student loans the last couple years because working full-time at a bar was keeping me out late at night. I wasn't focused on my school. I was drinking too much. I was partying too much. And I just wasn't getting the grades that I wanted, let alone having the time to devote to classes at the University of Florida's journalism school where they want you to launch your own magazine and then edit for this and edit for that in order to graduate. You know, and ultimately getting those student loans allowed me to become the copy editor for the, the student uh, journalism run magazine for the student run newspaper, The Alligator. I was able to go and take a magazine management class where we actually, from the ground up, started our very own um, food magazine. What's funny is I, I called it delicious with a period at the end of it. And there is literally a food magazine called Delicious with a period at the end of it that exists now. 
I've never gone out and gotten it. I just think it's hilarious that somebody decided to use that title with the period behind it. It could have been one of the 15 people on my magazine management team who helped me develop the magazine for all I know. I don't care, <laughs> but I do think it's funny that that name and with the period at the end of it was ultimately used. Our little caveat to why we thought ours was so special was at the back of the magazine, the back cover of it was you could rip it off the magazine and it was a list of the ingredients you would need for the next month's magazine so that you could already have all the ingredients in your kitchen whenever the next month's magazine arrived. Because I always thought that the problem with these recipe magazines was that they would have all these different recipes and the ingredients would just be so random. It's like crap, you'd have to go to the store and spend $50 a month just on the seasonings and spices. And then what, they just sit there and not be used again? So I was like, wouldn't it be better if we just used a lot of the similar seasonings and spices and then just told these people what was going to be coming up on the menu the next month so that they would be able to go out and already have it ready for whenever the magazine arrived. I don't know if anybody has seen a magazine that does that. And I'm not even sure why I'm rambling on about the magazine. But the point being is that by taking out the student loans, I was able to not have to work. Ultimately, it did put me $30,000 in debt and interest has accrued since. And pretty amazing considering I started school in 94 and I didn't graduate till 2006 that I only accrued that much. But honestly, for the most part, I was just working so much. And so be thinking about that too. How much of your income can you supplement by working? And then keeping in mind that if you go off and you get yourself into the service industry, you are going to be getting a lot of fast cash. And one of my keys that I talk about all the time with my clients is that if you're in an industry where you're getting paid cash, you have to have a spreadsheet that where you put in the numbers. So when you come home at night, if you made a hundred bucks, but you went to the bar and spent 60, you come home and you put into that spreadsheet, you made a hundred bucks. And at the end of the week, you can count up all your money and you can say, oh, wow, I made 600 in cash, but I'm only having 300 to deposit in the bank. Clearly I'm spending $300 a week at the bar that's 1200 a month. That's probably your rent and probably a car payment if you're going to a, a, any kind of school that's not located in a major city. You can burn through money extremely fast if you're not keeping an eye on it. So when you see these websites talking about making a budget, you know, am I going to sit here and tell you to monitor every little penny that you spend? It depends on if you've got a major goal you're looking to achieve with your finances. If it's to invest, if it's to save, if it's to buy a car or a new bicycle or a new phone or a new computer, then yeah, you need to have a little fund set aside in your bank account that's where you're saving that money, where you don't touch it. Otherwise, you know, have some discretionary funds. Have a debit card where you only put $100 on, a, on it a week and that's what you're allowed to spend at the quad or lunchtime on a Tuesday in between classes. You can you can just burn through money so fast, and if you start to go again, going back through the powerful principles, we're developing a growth mindset around our money and what we can achieve. There's a discipline. This is, again, number five of my powerful principles. There is a discipline to managing your money, to not going for that instant gratification of the $7 latte, to bring your own cup of coffee, to pack a lunch once in a while, to not go to the quad every, I mean, if you ate lunch every single day, down at the quad, and that's 10 bucks. that's $50 a week, that's $200 a month. In a given semester, that's $1,000. What else would you have rather done with that $1,000 when you could easily have packed yourself a sandwich and a piece of fruit from home? 
So, as I wind this episode down, there, whether you felt like there was a little juicy nugget in here or not, is really going to come down to how much you're actually monitoring your finances as a traditional student. If you come into this whole show or into this whole experience of college life as a non-traditional student, someone who's left, they're out, they already have a mortgage, they already have kids, you've got a, a wife or a husband or a partner, and you've got all these other things, there might be a certain amount of, of budgeting that you're already quite used to. I cannot, I just cannot implore you enough to think about getting yourself into the stock market and buying some of the blue chips that maintain no matter what happens. Be on the lookout, of course, for the next kind of pandemic size, you know, uh, shakeup of the market so you can sell, right? Anyone who saw this happening on March 17th of last year when I was furloughed from my hotel job, the stock market didn't even begin to really plummet till the next week. If I had had stocks, I'd have realized this is going to shake some things up. Some instant millionaires were made after that too. Those people who had ten, twenty thousand dollars sitting aside, or those that put their supplemental unemployment checks, those six hundred dollar bonus bumps that we were getting for a little while there. Tupperware went from a dollar to thirty-seven bucks by the middle of the pandemic. Imagine if you'd have put ten G's into that, you'd have been sitting on quite a hefty chunk of change, three hundred seventy thousand dollars by the middle of the pandemic. So be on the lookout for those things, realizing that you do not need to be an expert in order to manage your money in a different way than previous generations. Do your own research. By no means am I am I a shill for Robinhood or, or Coinbase or any of those other ones. I'm just giving you my experience with those because those are what I use as a novice at this. I am by no means an expert. I have made plenty of mistakes with my finances, and I'm sure that there are more coming up. I will strive to read and research and know the best, and I will still make an error here and there, and you will too. What to be mindful of is that you're you're seeking out ways to expand your financial knowledge. There are a ton of pitfalls out there. Those get-rich-quick schemes, those um, those multi-level marketing things where you could sell Herbalife, or you could sell, you know, Ethereum, or you could sell whatever the near the next hottest thing is. Oh, we're such a special product. We're not going to put ourselves in stores. We're going to ask you to spend $1,000 on this and then try to sell it to your friends and family. Don't bother. You're not going to enjoy it. And you're definitely, definitely no one's going to want to answer your phone call whenever you call them up to sell toothpaste or face lotion. Be thinking of ways that you can be smart with your money at a younger age. And again, if you find yourself in that non-traditional space, you can just pull out $50, $100 a week and, and tag it away into a really well-researched stock that's a blue chip that you know is going to still grow. And let's face it, barring some major calamity catastrophe, you know, the big four of like Google and Apple and Amazon and Facebook, you're pretty going to be pretty good on those stocks for some time to see near future moving forward. And I think Google's called Alphabet on the stock exchange. Again, digressing away from all of the little intricacies of the finances. What's really important to walk away from this episode thinking about is how your student loans are going to mess with your credit score if you're not paying attention to them. You don't have to pay three, $400 a month. If it's really stretching you too thin, there are payment plans based on your current finances. Call them up. Have that tough conversation. If you're in a state that uses uh, one of the 
Obamacare portals, you know, like we've got covered California out here. Yeah, I had to get on a phone call with one of those people one day and spend like two hours asking about that. Then I called Delta Dental and spent two hours asking them about that. Be someone who's informed. I cannot tell you how many of my friends here well, that I've got health insurance or dental insurance or I've got a stock portfolio and they come asking me simple ask questions that could be Googled, let alone ones where you could actually call the 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 healthcare provider or you could call the insurance company and you can actually get real knowledgeable people to answer these questions. Do not be that person who thinks that somebody else will take care of this for you. You are the one in charge of this. Take personal responsibility. Seek out the answers that you desire around these questions so that you can be getting the information first and foremost from the horse's mouth, from the people who actually work at the hospitals, the insurance companies, those places, the, the bank, whenever you want to get a loan. Be the person who doesn't call up their parents and say, hey, can you help me figure this out? You figure it out. It is valuable, valuable knowledge that will come in extremely handy one day. You won't have to always know all of it, but it definitely helps to have a pretty good general idea of what is happening within your health insurance, your dental insurance, your car loans, your student loans, your your leases, anything that you have to sign, you want to have a general idea of what it is you're getting yourself into. Because at the end of the day, it is your name on that line and it is your ass they're going to come calling for their cash. And it is your credit score that's going to suffer. And it can take years, years to get that right. Seven isn't always just enough. Sometimes it takes even longer. It's just like your reputation. You can be building your reputation for years as the trustworthy, honest person that people believe. And it just takes one, one lie to come crumble down that entire empire that you have built. Your credit score and your finances are no different. You can work on those things for years and one bad decision and you are stuck in the mid 500s and no one will even give you a second look for anything of importance. This stuff matters. I remember back in college, and I'll definitely leave you on this, you could get like a free tote bag or some stupid shirt if you signed up for a credit card. And I got like four of them my freshman year, like first month on campus. And of course, I maxed them all out within the first semester and had to call up grandma and uncle and people like that to help me pay them off because dad sure as hell wasn't going to take that phone call. And looking back at that, you guys in your generation are certainly blessed. I believe a law was passed that doesn't let those kind of uh, hawks onto campus to put you in those kind of situations. But it's not like you can't go online and Google cheap credit cards for students and then you will get hundreds of those things and they will give you a credit card even if it's a $250 limit. Be mindful of the money that you put on those. Be thinking about how you can get those things paid off because that's a great way to build your credit and it's an even better way to destroy it. Think forward. Be disciplined. And step into the tenacity that it takes to wake up one day as a 35, 45, 55-year-old with a seven-figure investment portfolio. All because 20-year-old version of you had enough forethought to start thinking about that then rather than now. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Be thinking about what I said. Go put your money where your mouth is. Do your research. Think about your future self. I can assure you it's coming faster than you think. See you again next week. Bye-bye.